As long as nobody dying, it's not an emergency. Especially when you work in business and in management consulting where everyone takes themselves super seriously. And if there's one number on the slide that was transcribed wrongly, then it's this big disaster and people are being yelled at and all of these things. I'm like, dude, nothing happened. Literally nothing happened. We can go and we can correct that slide or we can just do it again and everything will be fine. This is In Her Element, a podcast from BCG. I'm Corinne Lines. And I'm Suchi Srinivasan. Each episode, we have meaningful and vulnerable conversations with women leaders in digital, business, and technology. This week, we're speaking with Dr. Sophie Chung, founder and CEO of Cuno Medical, a digital platform that helps patients access healthcare that they need globally. Sophie was working towards her cardiology degree when she decided to explore a career in healthcare consulting. In this new role, she realized that she could use digital technology to help patients navigate often complicated healthcare systems. Sophie worked as an ER doctor for a number of years, which has given her a fresh perspective on the things that really matter in her life and career. She's also open and honest about the sacrifices prospective founders have to make and about the unique challenges that women face on this journey. Here's my conversation with Sophie. I'm Sophie. I'm the founder and CEO of Cuno Medical. We are a Berlin-based startup. We are in digital health. We help patients find the right doctor and we help hospitals and doctors find the right patients. So you grew up in Vienna and you currently work in Germany and Berlin, it sounds like, and you studied in the US and China. Can you tell us a little bit about your education and what drew you to medicine initially? I think it sounds cheesy, but I wanted to become a doctor very, very early on since I could think, since I was a little girl. I was really fascinated by, you know, the human body, by science, by nature. I was basically pesting my parents to buy me my first microscope. And when I grew out of the first one, I needed my second one. And I had this little lab set up in my room and all of these things. So I think there is some intrinsic interest and passion that has always been with me, but also I think I have a little bit of a helper syndrome in me, and that's why I was naturally drawn to a profession that allowed me to work with with people. I grew up in Austria, indeed. Uh, my parents are from Cambodia. My grandparents are from China, so quite international background. I went on to study medicine and philosophy and sinology, so everything except for business, because I wanted to stay in academia. But then I graduated medical school, and I started to work there. At the same time, other doors opened. Uh, and one of the doors that opened was in management consulting. And I had no idea what that was, but people explained it to me and I thought it was interesting. So I was like, okay, I'm going to give it a try. And I think that was a really good decision for me. So I left medicine. I joined the dark side. I went into management consulting. I worked there for five years in healthcare almost exclusively. And after that, this is when I decided to quit my job there and go into digital health. By that time, I have worked in healthcare for almost a decade, and I have basically noticed that healthcare is broken in so many places, in so many different ways. One of the things that I thought will absolutely be critical to fix many problems is digitalization. And so that's when I moved to New York and joined a digital health company called ZocDoc. I wanted to see it from the inside. I wanted to understand what it takes to build a successful digital health company. And um, so I moved there. And 2016, I came back to Berlin and started my own company. And that's a little bit in a nutshell. You were an ER doctor. What skills have you learned from that experience that you still use in your current role? 
So one big thing that I always say is, as long as nobody dying, it's not an emergency. Especially when you work in business and in management consulting where everyone takes themselves super seriously. And if there's one number on the slide that was transcribed wrongly, then it's this big disaster and people are being yelled at and all of these things. I'm like, dude, nothing happened. Literally nothing happened. We can go and we can correct that slide or we can just do it again and everything will be fine. And I think what I learned was to really notice the big problems in life and everything else is just not a problem and let's just fix it and move on with it. The only time you're allowed to yell at me and the only time you're allowed to like do crazy stuff is when somebody's dying and then everything is allowed because this is about saving somebody's life. So whoever is in charge is allowed to do whatever he or she needs to do in order to save that person's lives and then everything comes afterwards. You are the CEO and founder of Cuno Medical. Can you tell us a little bit more about what Cuno Medical does? My problem was healthcare is broken and nobody thinks about the patient experience, right? Like doctors think about, and not because they're mean or so, but it's just because of how the system is structured. You have many, many powerful stakeholders in healthcare. You have doctors, you have health insurances, you have pharma companies, and all of these places that all kind of defend their own interests. But the main customer in healthcare, who are the patients, have no lobby in there. And that's why healthcare is broken because the healthcare experience is hardly ever thought from a patient's perspective. They are being thought from a doctor's perspective, from a health insurance's perspective, from a hospital's perspective, but never putting the patient into sentence and say, what needs to happen in order for patients to go through this experience, go through a patient journey and have an amazing experience. Somebody said once, don't fall in love with the solution, fall in love with the problem. And this is kind of the problem that I fell in love with. So I was like, okay, which part of the healthcare experience I think is the most crucial part to be fixed. And there are many, many answers to this, but I picked one and I picked the beginning of your healthcare experience. When you as a patient start to choose a doctor, a treatment, a hospital, a place where you want to go, the first big decision that you need to make as a patient that defines everything else that comes afterwards, right? And uh, when you think about how this decision is, is being made today, it's not a decision. It's not a choice. Like, how do you choose your doctor nowadays? You go to the one who has an open appointment next day. You don't get to choose and say, is this the doctor I like? Is this a doctor who actually can do what I need them to do? How many times have they done that surgery before? Like, is that something that matters to me? And all of these things. You don't get to choose. You basically go wherever somebody, the system, the appointment, your other doctor is telling you to go to. And that's why I decided to create a platform that matches patients with doctors based on criteria that matter to the patient. At the same time, I noticed that healthcare decisions are super complex decisions. It's not like buying a car, right? Like you have to go, you have to get diagnostics, you have to go back, speak with your family, with your other doctor, you might want to get a second opinion and all of these things. So in order to help patients navigate that very complex journey, we started to build a product, a technology that helps them to basically create a digital pathway for patients to go step by step by step by step in order to go and get the right treatment. And all of a sudden, that digital pathway developed into an independent product, which we now call Suite. 
And it wasn't because we wanted it to be that way. At one point, the hospitals came to us and they were like, hey, you know, your marketplace is nice. But what we think is even nicer is the technology you have that helps patients navigate healthcare. We want to use that technology to help our patients navigate healthcare. Would you sell this to us? And of course, they didn't say it like this, but basically that was the gist of it. And my first reaction was like, hell no. I'm not going to become a healthcare IT vendor selling um, software to hospitals. That was like my enemy number one, because a lot of problems in healthcare is because of all these healthcare IT systems not speaking to each other and not being innovative enough. So I was like, I don't want to be one of them. But of course, as a second thought, I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. If hospitals want to use our software, we will enable them to deliver that healthcare experience. We always envisioned. And it's almost like a way through the back door where we don't have to reach the patients directly, but we will reach patients through the hospitals where the patients already are. And so that's kind of where we stand today, where we still run our marketplace, where we're selling a B2B SaaS software to hospitals to enable them. So it's almost like a CRM system for hospitals in a very kind of specialized way. And that makes us, in the end, makes us more robust because now we're serving both sides of the market. We're serving the patient side of the market and we're serving the provider side of the market. And this is now when it becomes even more fun to do my job. And so what makes you excited about this work? I know you said you're like obsessed with the problem. You're an entrepreneur. What are the main challenges that you face every day in this role? Everything is a challenge as an entrepreneur. And that's what I tell my team all the time. It's like what we are trying to do is tough. It's hard. And many people have tried before us and are trying next to us. And it's important that we all push together. But in evoking change in healthcare is one of the hardest things I think that you can do. So we feel it every single day in our work with our patients and our work with the doctors and the hospitals and building a product that actually works in all of these things. I think those are good problems to have. I think, you know, building a company, there are these obvious problems that you need to solve, like who's your market and what's your product and what are the types of regulations you have to deal with and all of these things. And I think, you know, every good business book talks about this. At the same time, there are kind of these challenges that I feel like people don't really talk about. As a founder, how do you grow? How do you ensure that you push yourself? How do you deal with the moments where you are absolutely lonely because you have nobody to speak to and you need to make those decisions all by yourself? Also, company culture. How do you actually build a company that has amazing people working with each other and where things don't break all the time? How do you establish processes? How do you find the right people? And all of these things. And and I think that's something that's where I can safely say I haven't found all of the answers, but these are the places where I'm growing. What would you say to young career women who are thinking about starting their own business? The headline is just do it but do it in a smart way or do it very intentionally and thoughtfully. And I think, you know, starting a business today is very different to starting a business six, seven years ago when I started it. Now there's so much information out there. There's so many people who are willing to share. There's so many examples that you can look at left and right. There's so many resources you can tap. I think you can really set yourself up with high chances of success in being very well prepared and intentional about the obvious and non-obvious things such as, you know, product market fit and the strategy and all of these things, but also like, do I understand what it takes and the sacrifices I have to make? And is this really something that works for me at the moment? There shouldn't be a reason not to do it for women in 
kind of places like Europe or the US where most of us are all in a very privileged position where we can choose to work on the topics we want to work is where, you know, when we become unemployed, we will be able to find a new job again and all of these things. The risk here is relatively low. So your parents moved to Austria to start a new life. Can you tell us a little bit about them and how they inspire you? So my parents are from Cambodia. They actually met in Austria. They didn't move together. Like, what are the chances that two Cambodians meet in the 80s in a little town in Austria, basically? But that's what happened. Um, my parents came to Austria as refugees. There was the Cambodian Civil War, the Khmer Rouge regime that made them flee the country. They came to Austria independent of each other, but both in similar situations with nothing that they owned. My dad arrived in Austria and everything he had, he was wearing on his body, basically. But within a short, very short period of time, they've built themselves a new life and existence. You know, they had me and my brother. And I always get the question if I come from an entrepreneurial family and if that is the reason why I became an entrepreneur. And I always said no. And my parents are you know, as far away from entrepreneurship as they can be. My dad is an engineer. They are both retired now. My mom was a lab technician, so they always worked in an employment structure. But in the end, I don't think this is what defines entrepreneurship. I think entrepreneurship is a mindset. And this is what I really learned from my parents. The grit, the hard work, the not accepting no for no. But at the same time, being humble and grateful for what you have and how far you've come but holding on to your vision and thinking big and really thinking about things that might seem impossible to you now, but still kind of working towards that. And I think those are all the characteristics that I learned from my parents growing up, not knowing and acknowledging that this is what actually entrepreneurship is up until just recently. That is so beautiful to hear. And I think you're so right because you may have two parents that are both entrepreneurs, but that might not you know, translate to anything or equate to anything for you as an individual. So it's the parts, the pieces that make up and the commitment, the willingness to follow through. So being a founder and a mom, given that you have a lot to juggle, can you share a little bit about your support structure, how you, know, you enable yourself to do what you do every day? One of the mantras I live by is happy children have happy mothers. And that is something that I always have to think about, juggling both. And when you have a child as a woman here in Europe, but I guess anywhere else, there are so many standards and expectations that are being thrown at you. So I think, you know, as a woman who wants to find her own way, you need to be very conscious and intentional about what you want to do. I've always put a lot of effort and energy in building my career because I wanted to work on things that are meaningful, but also at the same time, I've always wanted to maintain my independence and all of these things. So for me, it was really clear, even if I have a child, I will keep doing what I was doing. And therefore, I need a support system and a system in which I could fit everything. And again, I fully acknowledge I'm in a very privileged position that allows me to do all of these things. And I know that not everyone is in there. But for me, thankfully, it was possible. And therefore, it's possible for me to you know, do what I'm doing. My daughter has been in childcare since she was one and a half years old. Now she is in a school that is uh, full time, which is really, really great and flexible in opening hours. We have a nanny who comes and supports. I have a partner who is very supportive and flexible in also how he manages his time. 
Um, my parents who still live in Austria, which is not super close to Berlin, but still within the day they can get here, are also here to support in all of these things. And at the same time, despite the fact that I have very intense working hours as the CEO and founder, I still have a lot of control on uh, about my schedule. So if something happens, I can jump in as well. And even with all of that support system that I have, things still go wrong <laughs> all the time. And that's such an important message. Like you can still have all these support structures in place and yet... And yet, still, there's just so much responsibility. And so you didn't have a mentor formally, but there have been people that have pushed you in the right direction over the years. What kind of support have you been given by these people? The biggest part of support is really the encouragement. And, you know, many of us, I don't know if that applies to you, but I'm for sure and have been in the past and still today, am I a, a insecure overachiever? There have been many, many moments for me when, like, Am I good enough for this or should I be doing this? Am I prepared enough to, to go into a situation and all of these things? And in these situations, having people next to you who will encourage you in their own way in terms of words or action or opening doors and all of these things have immensely helped me progress. I don't think that many people did this intentionally in terms of, oh, I'm going to push Sophie in this side or I'm going to do this or that, but really by sometimes having more trust and belief in me than I had in these moments where we're really defining and I think back and and that's how I try to also give back to others in the moments where I feel like, okay, this person is, is doubting something. Let me be that person who kind of gives them the nudge to go in the right direction. I just recently had a female founder come to me and she's like, hey, Sophie, I really want to have access to you. She didn't say it like this, but she basically said, do you want to be part of my advisory board? She wanted to get access to me beyond kind of the connection we have or the friendship we had. She wanted to formalize this. So she was like, okay, I'm going to give you an advisory contract. You will get a small amount of stock options of my company. And really, it's really not much. But what she did with that was she entered a formalized relationship with me and kind of gave herself permission to approach me whenever she had a question. And I thought this was really, really smart because especially us women, like, I don't know about you, but when I have to ask for help, it takes me like two days to open my mouth because I go back and forth in my head all the time. Yeah. This would be my recommendation because you won't do it all by yourself. Starting a company is really, really hard and you need to have the right people next to you, not all the time, but in the right moments. So find a way how you can get these people there in the right moments. Can you tell us about a time when you felt that you were in your element? These are the times where I'm kind of pinching myself. And these are times when I sit together with my team and really talk about the problems that we want to solve. And this is when like, I'm in the flow. I love it. This is when I get inspired and all of these things. So I would say those are the moments where I'm really in my element. That was my conversation with Sophie. Sushi, what were some of your key takeaways from this conversation? She cracked me up when she started talking about what is the definition of a true emergency? I mean, as a management consultant myself, I loved how she put things in perspective and said, the only time you're allowed to yell at people is when somebody's dying. And I was like, by golly, yes, <laughs> that makes total sense. <laughs> so first of all, it was a refreshing take and a reminder on what really matters in life. And so often we get so caught up in all of the daily pressures at our jobs. And I think that was just wonderful thing for her to highlight. What do you think, Corinne? 
I think um, the thing that really stuck out to me was when she says, you know, oftentimes my team says, this is so hard. How are we ever going to solve this problem? And she sort of said, that's right. Our problem is really, really hard and that's okay. And to build them up and to sort of take on board that leadership role and having the confidence that it takes to sort of exude that to your team and saying, yes, it's hard and we can do this. And let's go ahead and turn the page on this and keep plotting forward. And we are going to make progress on this and we are going to help people. Well, that's all for today. This has been In Her Element, a podcast from BCG. Join us every episode to hear meaningful conversations with women leaders in digital business and technology. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you.